Welcome to 2024 and welcome to the Alta 4 podcast. I'm Brandon. This is a new year, new podcast, and I'm going noteless today. So I'm going to actually completely noteless. Um, today's show title is going to be something along the lines of 2024 and revisiting the toolbox fallacy. Now, there's a reason that I keep bringing this up all the time. And the reason is, is because it really, I find myself really identifying with it. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And uh, I really just didn't have time to put notes together because I had all these things bouncing around in my head. Now, um, for the purposes of privacy, I'm not going to really get into all the details, but I was talking with someone. And I actually shared the toolbox fallacy video with them. And I said, you know, this is something that I go back to every once in a while and listen to it. And it really resonates, especially the the part um, with Tom Cruise where he's talking to Jamie Foxx. And he's saying, you weren't ever going to do that. No, you weren't. You know, it was all nonsense, right? Those aren't the words that he actually used. But that's what I find myself feeling like sometimes where it's like someday Alta 4 will be this or someday I'll quit my job and you know this will be my entire revenue or someday and the whole point of the video is you know you can't let other excuses get in the way um toolbox fallacy excuses like well I can't do that because I don't have a proper um, studio or I don't have you know a computer or I don't have time or I don't have this and I don't have that and I think I want to reflect on this especially with 2024 in this new year in that you know I think we have to put some pragmatism to it right the reality is is the the speaker the author the host he says you know a writer writes a carpenter drives nails and so you know when I put myself in that position I say well yeah you know I'm doing a podcast so I am a podcaster but I think it goes even deeper than that and I think that when you when you look at what he's everybody sort of all the clips and the message and all that's pointing to is that it's trying to get you to say or or really I guess let me let me step back for just a second. His real point that he's driving home is that it's fear of failure that keeps us from starting. And you know, when I analyze that in my own life and I think about that, sure, do I have fear of failure? Yes, I do. But they also have to box in other concerns. You know, when you get older and get more mature and start to take on different obligations you don't have the same level of risk tolerance that you had when you were young and so when i think about like when i graduated from college yes i was working i was working a minimum wage job at roughly 40 hours a week but even that even all of that was not enough to cover my actual rent (laughs) So I owed on a monthly basis more rent than I could actually earn. And so when when I think about 
you know, the ability to um, sort of have risk, right? I knew that that wasn't going to work. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to either keep that job or keep that apartment long term, but that I would keep going at what I was doing because that was better than nothing until something better came along. And so how that relates to the, you know, to this, I mean, this kind of career, this kind of um, personal mission wasn't available. And when I say this, I mean, podcasting or content creation wasn't available when I graduated college. But had I had known that, you know, this was where I wanted to go, that it would have been so much easier to start doing it then when um, I didn't have the other obligations that I have now. And so uh, the author of the toolbox fallacy, the narrator, the, the content creator person, you know, is, trying, is, is pushing this fear of failing as our biggest hurdle. But yet I want to look at it a little bit more in, in a little bit farther and then hopefully swing back around and come back to a point here. So, yeah, the best time to, to have started this would have been directly out of college. Um, when I think about my, my first job, I mean, it was, uh, I would say it was above the median pay when I started. And my career has traced to above, to significantly above the median pay. But this was also a time when I wasn't married and I didn't have kids and I didn't have these obligations that I feel like I have now. And so when we look at risk, when it comes related to that, my kids are entering the age where they're starting to, or they're almost college bound. And I think about, you know, what my parents did and what parental obligations are to their children. You have to think about, you know, what do parents do beyond the age of 18? Now, my parents, I was fortunate and I knew my whole life growing up that my parents were going to cover four years of college, but after that, it was going to be entirely up to me. And so I feel like, you know, given, handed that gift that I have a responsibility to pass at least some of that downstream. Now, I say there's positives and negatives to that, meaning that with my college being paid for, I, th I felt like at the time, and I still feel like now that some of that had to do as much or more with, um, or me feeling like there was a bit of control in that situation. I didn't feel as free as I probably would have felt if it was my own debt or my own working my way through college to sort of pick the career or the educational path that I wanted to, to go down. And so, you know, uh, when I made my decision, I mean, I originally started out in college as wanting to work in forensic science, which led to uh, me studying chemistry and then learning about the industry and the, and the careers available in chemistry knowing that these were some of the highest paying jobs, especially at that time before the digital revolution really took off, um, that, you know, I was set basically on a path for upper middle class, I would say, because it's a hard area of study, because it's technical, 
um, because there's lots of corollaries between chemistry and other things in life. Whereas um, if I look at who I was in middle school, I sort of had this desire to study history. And when I was in early middle school, my mom had gone back to, to college to pursue or complete her degree. And so she actually had struck up a relationship with um, one of the professors there, the history professor, who expressed, she expressed to him that I had interest in history. And um, I wouldn't say that he discouraged me or that his results discouraged me, but basically he boiled it down to, you know, if you're going to have a degree in history, the careers are academia or unrelated. And I don't know, even though I have sort of the heart of a teacher, I don't know that I would have, I, I certainly at that point saw it as a turnoff to become a history teacher. And so I sort of turned from that desire to study history to something that was probably more practical and pragmatic. And so following my career through college, you know, I always felt like there was a degree of pressure on me to perform to a level of my, my sponsors, my parents' satisfaction, right? Did I pick the right career? Did I, um, was my trajectory acceptable? Was I going to finish in four years? Was I meeting those expectations and going to come out with something that was sort of worthy of their investment? Now, <clears throat> my wife had a slightly different path where she basically did it all on her own. She um, sought, her college was financed via borrowing and things. And so ultimately she studied what she followed her heart into these things, right? And my point with all that is <laughs> getting back to my kids is that, you know, my parents provided a level of um, security for me, and I feel some level of obligation to pass that on. So therefore, when they get into college, I don't know that, you know, I'm not going to be able to, unless they go to some um, local and expensive uh, institution like community college followed by four-year college, which is not my younger son's dream, by the way. He wants to go to Harvard. I'm not going to be able to afford $80,000 a year for Harvard, plus have another student in school at the same time. Um, and so, you know, uh, I guess when I'm, this whole circular logic discussion is all about, I've accepted this obligation that I need, that I want to um, help my kids and pay back some of the some of the financial gain that I've gained from uh, going to college. And so fear of failure is real. Now I want to look back at the toolbox fallacy in a different light here. And, you know, I think it's perfectly acceptable to, to box in your fear of failure and say, look, you know, there's, there's a level of comfort that I've grown accustomed to. Like um, I remember in college where we're sort of pooling our money together to get some money to put gas in the car to go somewhere, right? I like the 
um, financial stability to go, oh, the tank is empty. I'm going to fill it up and I don't really care. I mean, I do care what the price of gas is, but the price of gas, whether it's 20 cents more today versus two weeks ago is not going to break the bank. It just sort of gets absorbed into the budget, right? And so I like the the ability to, to say, yeah, my tank is empty. I need to fill it. I want to go here. I want to do this. Of course, we all have choices that we have to make. Like, you know, do you go and spend the weekend in the mountains or do you stay home and, and have family time and cook meals? There's a significant budget change and difference in that. Um, you know, me personally, I would be just fine with being more frugal, but I also understand there's a value in family time and experiences there as well. And so I've sort of boxed in that there's a, there's a lifestyle that, um, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be as rich as it is now, but it is probably better that it's rich than poor. And so that to me has figured into the equation of fear of failure. Now, if I go back to 2019, where I quit my job without any sort of plan and any sort of um, ability to move forward, you know, that was not a move based on fear of failure. That was a move really more on um, relationship than anything essentially my wife had thrown down the gauntlet and said, you're going to quit or I'm going to (laughs) leave. So, um, of course I did what I needed to do in that situation. And, you know, I've come to understand that while it wasn't the smartest financial move by any means, um, it had some, some positive benefits associated with it. It allowed me to put some distance uh, between where I was at and where I was going. It actually allowed me to start Alta 4. Um, It allowed me to just sort of recalculate or reevaluate where I was at and where I was going. And so what I want to say about fear of failure is I, I think it's completely fine and natural and normal to say, yeah, you know, I'm going to write, but I have to write under the constraints of these things that I've decided are important. And so the fear of failure can't be, you know, I mean, if I was completely ignoring fear of failure, I would once again quit my job and I would rededicate my efforts to this because this is really where I want to go with things. Um, but you know, I don't really think that's acceptable given that I've already done that once. So, you know, and, and I couldn't withstand that really financially either, um, at this point, not for a long period of time. And so, you know, I've put these parameters around what I want to do and, and where I'm at and how I can do them and, and other things. Now, I think the step that's probably missing here is really the step where I'm taking Alt F4 from 
where I'm currently at to where I currently want to go. And that's the step that I really haven't um, put in the right amount of effort for. So you could say in some ways my toolbox fallacy in that uh, regime or that structure is that I blame my, my <clears throat> inability or lack of success based on, well, because I'm working, because I need to um, spend time with the family, because I can't really work two jobs at the same time or put in two jobs worth of effort at the same time. And so that's the, the thing that I really need to overcome in order to um, remove my toolbox fallacy from that standpoint. But I also want to look at toolbox fallacy from another position. And I think that a lot of people fall into this trap where they, um, like me, where they they find some piece of content that really resonates with them, like this this toolbox fallacy video that I watch from time to time. And they, they fall into this trap where they, they think that that is good enough. Um, and they sort of justify to themselves their, their failures because, because they reiterate this content and yet they do nothing about it. Now, um, some people, myself, I sometimes call it this too, would call that mental masturbation where they say, you know, they make themselves feel good about failing because they're really displacing this, um, this content with action, right? I'm not, I don't suffer from toolbox fallacy because I watch this video every six months and I tell myself, yeah, that's not me. I'm not putting things over getting what I want done, but things come in all shapes and sizes, right? These roadblocks, fit into any type of toolbox. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm telling myself someday I will get on fountain.fm. Someday I'll set up some sort of revenue model. Someday I'll do this or that. And then I, in the same hand, I say, well, I can't because I don't have time because I'm busy working on these projects because I'm making content because I'm building tables for my website or whatever, I don't have time to do, to set up the things to make it a business. And so that becomes its own type of toolbox, right? Where um, I'm basically putting excuses in front of, of doing the thing that needs to be done or that could be done. And one of the reasons why we do these things is because they're hard, right? if I knew the steps that it would take to go from recording this podcast to making it a career, of course I would do it. I would do it in a, in an instant, but I don't know the steps. And so, because I don't know the steps, then I justify not doing it by putting up these other walls and barriers like time and effort and things. And so, it's um, it's a different form of fear of failure. So the new year is always a time where people set their goals and their resolutions and things. And I've even attempted to do it publicly and even sort of failed and justified that as well. Um, 
And I did that by sort of setting arbitrary markers in the sand. You know, quarter one, I want to do these things. Quarter two, I want to do these things. And then when I evaluate it, I didn't do any of those things. Now, um, you know, when we look at our goals, I think what we look at is we look at what the outcome is. And, you know, people this time of year set a lot of goals like, well, I want to get fit. Okay, well, how do you get fit? We start going. Now, <clears throat> what they don't really take into account is getting fit from being unfit is hard work, right? Just like um, going from podcasting for free to making something is hard work. And they may find that the work is so hard or hard enough that um, they really don't make it to their goal. You know, they find out that that's not really a goal that they want to do because the work is too hard to get there. I think, you know, in some cases people don't know how to get there maybe. Um, there are lots of resources about getting, you know, a personal trainer or having a buddy or whatever. Um, and so they're, they use that or they, they find that that's not really what they want. They want the outcome. They want to be fitter, but they don't want to do the work to get fit. And the work to get fit is really the, the work that has meaning and value, right? So if I turn this back around on myself and say, you know, do I want to, I want to make this a business. I want the outcome, but do I want to put in the work to get there? And I can't answer that question yet. Like I stated a few minutes ago, um, the reality is if I knew how to get from A to B, I would probably already be there. But because the work is hard and I don't really know how to do it, I sort of flounder around and justify to myself that I don't know what I'm doing and, uh, and that makes it okay. It doesn't make it okay, but it also doesn't make a judgment, right? I mean, if I decide that at some point in the future that, you know, the return on this is not worth my investment, it's okay. Because I've learned a lot in the process. I've learned how to uh, post things. I've learned how to deal in the digital environment. I've learned, I've learned a lot of things um, that I didn't know how to do. Um, and they weren't really that hard. But, you know, if someone else were to ask me, hey, you know, how do I start a podcast? Well, I could pretty easily answer based on my experience and the steps aren't that difficult. But when you go to the next step beyond that, how do I make a podcast into something that makes money? Well, then that's a little bit more difficult for me. And so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get across is I haven't decided where I'm going to go with this yet. Um, but because I don't know if, if the work, it's not my, well, maybe it is my fear of failure, right? My fear of failure is what if I put in all the work and it doesn't work? <laughs> you know, what if I invest more time and money in this and, and it turns out that it doesn't go like I hoped it would, then it would be a loss, but we have to we have to step back with those paradigms and we have to look at 
you know, what else can, what else did we get out of the process? And so, you know, I've talked about this before as well is, is that I, you know, I don't consider this a failure just because I've learned so much. I mean, starting a WordPress blog, integrating it into a podcast, getting audio and video moved around and onto there and, you know, how to building a daily routine of posting and sort of what is that structure? How do you fill out that structural content? All those things are valuable. It's just, is that, is that it for me? Right. Is, is that what I'm going to learn from this process or do I take it a step further? And so if, if I ever decided that, yep, I've learned enough from this and that I will no longer be doing anything actively, well, that's not a judgment position. That's just, I've gone as far as I can go with it and, or as far as I want to go with it, I should say. And that should be good enough for anyone. Right. And so, um, I guess where I want to get back to this, where I want to get back to the toolbox fallacy is that, um, that, you know, there, it gets to a certain point that, I guess really if I try to redefine what I'm saying is that, you know, it's fine to have a goal. It's fine to not meet it. It's fine to have obstacles. It's fine to box in, you know, what you can do because we all have limitations physically, um, financially, emotionally. There's only 24 hours in a day. And, what we really have to do is we have to look at our goals and we have to say, you know, maybe just like in that video, a cab driver, um, is not the ends to me owning a limo company. Maybe I don't really want to own a limo company and that's why I'm not doing it. Maybe I need to figure out what I really want to do. And so there is a boundary with the toolbox fallacy and your goals, right? But there's also a boundary between are your goals really what you want to do? Are they really your goals? And so, um, you know, the movie, or I, I, I should say, honestly, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. But we all make assumptions that, you know, that those are really the end goals of the, of Jamie Foxx, the cab driver, when in reality, he may not be becoming a limo company owner because that's not really want, what he wants to do. He's just telling himself that because it justifies where he's at. So it's the new year is a great time to sort of do that because we all sort of think about goals and all that stuff this time of year anyway. And so um, I apologize. I know that I can get a little bit rambly and a little bit disambiguous when I don't actually have show notes, but the real point I'm trying to get across with all this stuff is, you know, don't let obstacles hold you up, i.e. the toolbox fallacy, um, when you have goals to accomplish, but yet, um, don't lie to yourself with goals either, right? I mean, the toolbox fallacy can be a way that we're sort of putting up obstacles because we really don't want to achieve the goals that we've stated in the first place. And, um, if I go all the way back to that conversation that I was having, 
I was sharing this piece of content because I go back to this, like I said, probably every three to six months. I talk about it, right? And I look at myself and my what I've accomplished and where I'm at, and I try to um, pump myself up, right? Am I putting anything in my way that will prevent me from doing what makes this successful? And, you know, I, I find other areas in my life where I, where I have these, um, these interruptions and these excuses. I, I think about like when I was building my first piece of real wood furniture, my, what I use now is my reloading bench workbench that I have down in my basement. And I started off really gung-ho and really going a lot. And then all of a sudden, the cat had kittens and it decided to take up residence inside my shop. And so my wife said, well, you can't work in there while the cat has kittens. And therefore, that ended up with a multiple-year hiatus on that project. I almost had to physically force myself to get back to it to finish it it was kind of to the point where i was annoyed with moving parts around even years after you know sort of abandoning it because they were always in my way and so um the way i overcome overcame that was i started plotting out okay what does the end look like what does it take me to to get from here to there and making incremental progress and i found that once i started and once i really sort of got into it and got working again that I reignited that desire to actually finish the project. And I think that that is sort of a analogy to all of these things that we have as goals is that we come to this stumbling block where we either for reasons beyond our control or even reasons in our control we sort of let go and then we don't know how to re-engage or we don't know how to finish something or we don't know what to do and so we just don't do it. And uh, that's not what I want for myself. That's not what I want for you. And so that's why I thought it was important to revisit the toolbox fallacy again. Starting off in 2024, we got to remove our barriers and make our goals um things that we want to do. So if you want to contact me, Brandon at altf4.co is my email. You can also get in touch with me on Noster. I'm on MeWe. Um, that's it. So we're kicking off the new year with Altf4. Remember to end your programming and do things that matter. <laughs>